act yep. of, of um, you know, just cruelty towards women. Um, you know, they're not allowed to get an education. They have to wear the burqa. They have to, uh, they're, they're just really uh, kept in, just, it's just not a good thing. And um, if they try to fight that, their life can be taken. They're, they're persecuted in, in a lot of different ways. Um, one group that probably isn't getting a lot of media attention in the national media would be the Christians that are in Afghanistan. Now, we, we, we know that Afghanistan is probably a very strong Islamic right population. But in the last 20 years, I can guarantee you that Christianity has gained its foothold in Afghanistan. And um, I've had reports even right now that I'm getting emails that the Taliban are going door to door just seeing if on their phones if they have the Bible app on their phone, right? And um, and so, you know, you're hearing one thing, yes, they're going to protect American citizens and and women and all that, but I, I just, there's too many other reports that are saying that that is not happening. And so um, you, you, see, you see this happening, and as a U.S. citizen, unless you're in our military, but even the military, you're still following the orders of your commanding officers and ultimately our, our, our commander-in-chief, right? Um, there's only so much we can do, right, um, um, as a believer in Christ. And so I, I wanted to deal with that. Um, and so some of this even came out, the Psalms 10 came out of my devotional time. And often I'll say, man, this is one of my favorite passages, right? I'll say, we're going to be touching upon one of my favorite passages. And Psalms 10 is not one of them, all right? In fact, I read it in my devotions, it was like a, a couple weeks ago, I read it. And, I, and as I read through it, I didn't like it. Because it speaks to the truth of our world and what happens in our world, the cruelty that takes place. Um, at the mercy of other people and sensitivity of other people. Um, it describes our world, not only just what is happening in Afghanistan now, but what has happened down through the centuries. Evil is there, and it takes advantage of the weak, of the powerless, of the disadvantaged. And so um, some would call this psalm, if you were looking for titles, it would be entitled, Man, Predator, and the Prey. Um, there's this idea of the two words even used in there, the, the evil of hunt down the, the weak and the disadvantaged. Use that word hunt. Um, another one would maybe call it a prayer for justice. And so that's the one I've entitled the message. Uh, I use that as the title for this message this morning, just for lack of a better title, but a prayer for justice. And this psalm tackles a difficult theological issue. How can a loving God allow evil to exist? You ever asked that question or wondered that in your mind? How can a loving God allow evil to exist? And I've, I, I, I've talked with people that are non-believers, and, and that's a real hang-up for them. If there is a loving God, how can there be all this evil in our world, whether it is what we see, the Taliban, evil extends far beyond that, right? It extends to what happens in our streets of our cities, whether it is the drugs that are, that are being trafficked through, whether it is sex trafficking, whether it is um, um, just the, the onslaught that takes place in some countries. Um, two nuns were, were murdered in Sudan this past couple of days. They were traveling in Sudan uh, doing their work, and they were on the, as they were traveling, uh, they were stopped, and they were, they were killed. They were shot and killed. And um, that is even some... Um, when I was at general counsel, I talked to a missionary, and I worked with his dad at Global University in Springfield, Missouri, 
And I, when I was there, I remember he was in the Congo. Um, he was in the Congo. And I remember him coming home because they were traveling um, from one place to the other. And they were stopped by these militants along the road. And he was actually shot. They, didn't, they knew that if they stopped, that nothing good was going to happen. So they kept going. They shot through the vehicle, hit his knee, just blew out his knee. I mean, the, the shell did. And, and so he had to have knee reconstruction. I remember him going through that, and so I saw him at general counsel, recognized his last name, and he has the same first name as I do. So, um, But there's a lot of evil in our world. I, that's just touching the tip of the iceberg, right? So how can a loving God allow evil to exist? And I believe this psalm maybe sheds some light into that and um, maybe some perspective. Amen? So before we dive in, let's bow our heads in prayer this morning and look to the Lord. Father, this morning we, uh, we invite your presence here. We invite your Holy Spirit just to make your word come alive to us. Um, we, we see what is happening in our world. And Father, even right now, we just offer up a prayer for um, Christians and for those that are um, just at a disadvantage, that are caught up in something much bigger than them that they have no control over, Lord. And uh, we pray for safety, for security, for your intervention, Lord God. You do love people. You love people. You so love the world that you gave your one and only Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God, you love people. And so, Lord God, help us to get a grasp on this and to understand things from your perspective. We give you the thanks and the praise. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Psalms chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 11 is where we're going to begin. And then we'll uh, we'll kind of bring out some points out of this. So let's... Let's read this together. It says, Why, Lord, do you stand afar off? Wow. Okay, catch this first verse. Why do you hide yourself in time of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He, he blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God, seek Him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears, no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait in the villages and ambushes. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed and they collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. And he covers his face and never sees. Wow, that's pretty vivid, isn't it? But don't we see that happening in our world, whether it's been down through history, whether it was um, in Germany with the Holocaust, uh, whether it was um, in some of the places where there was genocide in Africa, uh, whether it is even right now what we're seeing in Afghanistan. or um, I know in some of the countries in Central America right now, they are dealing with some of those same things, just the, the corruption and injustice that is taking place there. The, the list can go on in Sudan and other places uh, around our world. It is happening and it is taking place. And as I read this in my devotional time, there's part of me that just I despise and I hate that part that 
that people can get into power and they can have control and they can take advantage of those that cannot protect themselves, right? And it makes me mad that people can even have that evil within their heart to do such things, that they don't have any conscience, that they don't have any moral guidance that would keep them from going to those depths. You following me? So the psalmist begins, God, why, when we see the evil taking place, why we see what on the news that is happening, why is it, does it seem like you are far off, that you're hiding in this time of trouble? What we must understand is when the psalmist is saying this, he's not expressing a theological truth, but he is expressing what he appears to be seeing. And it is, all, it is the truth, folks. In times of trouble, it seems like, God, where are you, right? I can't see you. I don't see how you're working. Waymaker, we just sang it, right? We don't always see how God is working behind the scenes, and so we jump to the conclusion that God is hiding. He's not there, right? And that is what the psalmist expresses. He's expressing his feelings, not a theological, theological truth, but he's expressing what he is feeling in his own heart. And maybe you've had some of those same thoughts this past week or two, or over the years. Whether it's the chaos in Afghanistan, the violence in our street, or just New York City, Chicago, um, even, even uh, there's been shootings here in Omaha and Lincoln here lately just that have taken place that we haven't seen. Um, um, the drug use that has gone up, but even the fentanyl that has been coming in and mixed with some of the other cocaine and stuff like that is taking lives in our, in our state, folks. It is happening. It's, it's spiking right now. Um, those that are, their lives are being taken by COVID. Um, one of you just had a, a friend, a neighbor that was taken in his 30s by COVID. And, and we, we see that, and we, we see that as happening. I even just had, from general counsel, I had a lot of friends that came away from that time with COVID, and God protected Amy and I, but uh, um, I think everybody's recovering, but um, it's happening. It's part of our world. And what I like about the Psalms is that they provide a bridge between God's truth and reality, okay? There's that bridge of, okay, this is God's truth, but how is it lived out in real life? And sometimes we have, a, we have difficulty in taking God's truth and saying, how does that apply to where I live right here, right now? And I believe this Psalm does deal with that. And, and so um, we're going to dive in a little bit more. The psalmist goes on to describe the wicked. What are their characteristics? They're arrogant, right? Boastful, prideful. In fact, one of the commentaries calls it the tyrant's boast, right? These first 11 verses. He's, he's arrogant. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He's just going to do whatever he wants to do. All that matters is himself. He doesn't care if other people get hurt, harmed. He's taking the life of other people. It doesn't matter. He's arrogant. He's merciless. He'll hunt down the weak. He has no mercy at all doesn't matter who he destroys or who gets in his way. Greedy. It's all about him, right? More for me. I don't care if you're starving. I don't care if you're hungry. All I care about is that I'm taken care of. Atheistic. He cares no thought for God. He doesn't care about God. He's not going to fear God. He doesn't live his life in, in respect to the, hey, there's gonna be, I'm going to be held accountable one day. There's no care for God, respect to God, no fear of God. He despises God. He's corrupt. There's no honesty there. Murderous, right? You know, the, the Scripture does not say that killing 
You know, when people, people wrestle with this when they go off to, to fight in our military. Um, some translations say thou shalt not kill. Actually, the best translation is thou shalt not murder. There's a difference between killing and there's a difference between murder. The big difference is, is that murder is you're taking the life of somebody and of an innocent life, right? Uh, sometimes in the battle you're, you're fighting, you know, I don't think battle is ever good. I don't think war is ever good. But in those cases, you're not taking innocent life. You're taking the life of people that are actually engaged in war, all right? Now, you still might have some conscious issues there, but Scripture is very clear that sometimes people were killed accidentally, right? You know, say you're working or you're doing something and you slip and you, you t- accidentally take the life of somebody else. That would be killing somebody else, right? Scripture doesn't hold you accountable in that situation. It would take into account that if you actually took the life, you Cain killed Abel, right? He took innocent life, and so God held him uh, responsible for that. That is murder. So the description of wicked men and women here in, in Psalms is descriptive of wickedness throughout history, right? You can see it down through history. The faces change, the geography changes, but the characteristics are the same. Evil is evil, and it is present in people in our world. So what do we want to take away from these first 11 verses? I think the principle that we can kind of gather from this is that in evil times, God appears to be far away. And the key word there is appears. And I think that's okay to realize that at times we don't always see what God is doing. And we don't understand His plans. His ways are higher than our ways. His plans are deeper than our plans. And we have to trust Him in that. It expresses how we may be feeling, but it doesn't express God's truth. Let's go to verses 12 through 18. I'm going to pull two points out of those verses, so I'm going to read them all together. 12 through 18. So the psalmist, he kind of, you know, shares with the wicked who they are, what they do, and then he says in verse 12, he says, Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider the grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. You break the arm of the wicked man. You call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them. And you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, so that the mere, that mere earthly mortals will never strike again, will never again strike terror. You know, these next several verses are a victim's prayer. And the psalmist calls God to rise up, right? God, take action. Do your part. Bring justice, right? God hears the prayers of the afflicted, the fatherless, and the defenseless. And the psalmist knows that. He knows that God hears those prayers. And when you shift to the New Testament, and we understand who Jesus is, we know that Jesus understands our suffering and our pain. Aaron read that this morning. When he went to the cross, he participated in our suffering and our pain. You realize that? The path that led to our redemption did not bypass this step. In fact, that was one of the temptations that Jesus faced. 
in the wilderness, Satan came to him and says, Hey, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just bow down and worship me. And what Satan was offering Jesus is, Hey, I'll give you temporary control of all the nations if you will bow down and worship me. And you don't even have to go through the cross. But he followed the Father's plan. He went through the cross and he became king of kings and lord of lords for eternity and forever. But see, the way of the cross... The way of redemption led through the cross. Hebrews 9, uh, excuse me, 5, 7 through 9. This is the New Living Translation. It says, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered up prayers and pleadings with loud cries and tears to the one that could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who would obey him. What is the author of Hebrews saying? Jesus was perfected through what? Through suffering, through pain. Why? It's because of that he is able to identify with us, right? He's walked where we have walked. He, he knew what it was like to get nails through his wrists and his hands and his feet, to, to get the lashings on his back, the crown of thorns, to be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be outcast. He knows what it's like to suffer and pain, to die one of the most cruelest forms of death that the Romans could devise and come up with. It wasn't quick was prolonged for hours that they would hang up on that cross before they would die. But chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 of Hebrews says, Therefore we have a great high priest who has ascended to heaven, Jesus the Son of God. Aaron read this earlier. Let us hold, fir hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted every way just as we are. And yet he did not sin. And he, he participated in our suffering. Therefore, let us approach God's throne with, of grace with, what? Confidence. So that we may find mercy and find grace in our time of need. The second principle we can pull out of here is that God hears the prayers of the oppressed. God hears the prayers. You know what? And I, I wish that God would always answer our prayer just boom. Right now. But see, we're not God, and we don't always understand. Sometimes in the life of Joseph, I, we taught this lesson to the youth on, on Wednesday night, the life of Joseph. He had the dreams. He had the visions. God, he was going to one day, his brothers were going to bow down to him. He was, God was going to bless him and prosper him. But the way to that was being betrayed by his brothers, thrown in a pit, being sold into slavery, being blessed in Potiphar's house and then being locked up, falsely accused, thrown in prison again, and ultimately being brought out and raised to power. And see, I believe even just the sufferings of Joseph made him the leader that he was because I think he had an arrogance issue. And God humbled him so that he could become the leader that God needed him to be. And God would take him through suffering. That's probably not what you wanted to hear this morning. Sometimes God may, gonna, may take you through difficult times and you, it's going to be painful. You could describe it as suffering. 
Say, God, why am I going through this time? There's times that God is going to reach down and just deliver you just like that. But there's other times he's going to ask you to walk through it. But you know what? He never leaves you and he doesn't forsake you, right? Even when Joseph was in prison, it says that God granted him favor. Isn't that powerful? God was with him, even in prison. God is with you in your suffering and in your pain. God hears the prayers of the oppressed. You know what? I don't like what I see in the news, but I'm guessing in the coming weeks we're going to hear testimonies. I think we're going to hear stories of, of people being executed and killed and tortured. Christians, women, um, those that were allies to us. I, I, I'm just anticipating we're going to hear some, some bad stories. But along with that, I think we're going to also hear testimonies of Christians that said, you know what, God stepped in and he delivered us. They were at our door and they didn't find us and they went on. I think there's going to be stories because God hears the prayers of the righteous folks and he's with them. He's with them. And I hope you're joining in. There are brothers and sisters, those Christians over there, whether they're in Afghanistan, whether they're in Sudan, whether in Central America, South America, North America, there are brothers and sisters in Christ. One day we're going to see them around God's throne. Keep them in your prayer. Intercede for them. The last point is important here because this puts things in perspective and settles the scale of justice, right? So justice, the symbol that we have in America is those scales, right? The symbols of justice, right? So that's also found in verses 12 through 18. The wicked think they will get away with evil, but God sees all that they do. And Scripture says that everybody is going to be held accountable for all that they've done. The good, the bad, and the ugly, right? God sees it all. Now, as a Christian, fortunately, it says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So just take a deep breath and go, right? Because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And one day we're going to stand before that the white, white throne. We're all going to stand there before God. And why should we get into God's kingdom? It's not because of our good works, because we've all failed God. It's going to be because of Jesus. Jesus is going to say, you know what? My blood has covered their sin. They are mine. And we'll have entrance into heaven. But the wicked are also going to have to give an account. They're going to be, there's going to be resurrected too, and they're all going to appear. Did you know that? They're going to appear before the white throne judgment, and each person will be judged and held accountable for all that they've done. All that they've done. People have uh, thought, you know what, I got away with it. You know, every once in a while you'll hear a story of uh, uh, somebody that worked one of the concentration sh- camps in Germany and they escaped and they get to America, right, or another country, and all of a sudden their identity gets found out and then they're brought to justice, right? And there's people out there that think, you know what, I got away with it. No, they didn't, because there's going to be a judgment, the final point is crucial because it brings home the point there will be justice and each person will be held accountable for what they have done. So the final principle is there is a final judgment that the wicked will not escape. And that's what the psalmist brings out. And just a little bit of history for this. 
If you go to Deuteronomy 32:43, Jesus, uh, not Jesus, but God is talking about the Israelites as they come into the promised land. And he says, Rejoice, you nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants, and he will take vengeance on his enemies and will make atonement for his land and his people. We even see in, in the Old Testament that God is going to make restitution. He's going to take vengeance upon those that harm his people. There will be, um, there will be held accountable for all this. When I was moving our son to Springfield right before general council, so that was, we're in August, right? So it was right at the end of July. End of July, I was taking him down, I was listening to a podcast and it was talking about the history of Israel right prior to where Jesus would be born, all right? So it was B.C., right around 167 B.C. And there was a very turbulent time there in Israel's history, and the Romans would come in, and there was a lot of persecution that took place. Uh, under one specifically, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. He was brutal. But there's a count in Second Maccabees. So, um, you know, the, the Catholic Bible has the uh, Apocrypha, right? And um, so in that, there you have some of the Maccabees, so some historical books that aren't included in the Protestant Bible. Um, but there are historical books that kind of describe some of the Jewish history, some of the events that took place there. And so in Second Maccabees chapter 7, you could probably look it up at Bible Gateway. I don't know if the Bible app has it, but the Bible Gateway, you can look it up there. But anyway, this podcast referred to this episode where a mother is brought before Antiochus Epiphanes and her seven sons. And they hold to the law of the Lord. And, and so it has, some of that has to do with Jewish customs, customs as far as what we'd consider not eating um, you know, pork or uh, animals that had the blood still in it, right? That is against Jewish custom and law. And, and even the early church would have to wrestle with that, right? Um, but they weren't willing to go against what... Uh, God had said in Scripture. And so Antiochus wanted to make an example of him. And so he started off with the oldest son, began to brutally um, uh, kill this young man, and hoping that in doing so that the others would recant and they would follow the king's edict instead of God's edict and God's word. And um, they started with the oldest and worked his way all the way down through seven sons and just brutally, I, you, you read it in Maccabees, it's kind of like, I don't even want to read that on a Sunday morning. It's just too gruesome of the cruelty that people can do. Um, but this is what the, the mom told the youngest son, the last one to, be, to kill, be killed. She says, do not fear this butcher, but prove worthy of your brothers. Accept death so that in God's mercy I may get you back along with your brothers. And in, 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 in her words, and then the, the young son would also say something to Antiochus, and it just made him, every time he tried to make it more brutal and cruel so that he would hope that they would change their mind, but they didn't. They died, they died bravely and without remorse. But in, the, in their words, you capture that they, one, had a firm belief that there is a resurrection, and that this earth is just temporary, that there is a resurrection and God is going to resurrect. So even in the Old Testament, before Christ would die on the cross, they had this belief that there is a resurrection. Secondly, they had a firm belief that God would hold people accountable 
for all their actions, their wickedness, and that God would one day be honored and lifted up, and that each person would be rewarded. There was a firm belief in that. And folks, we need to understand that because if we don't, under, if we don't believe that God is going to settle the balance scales, that He's going to bring justice at the end, we think God's just turning His shoulder to the wicked around us. But He's not. He sees it all. And one day, those books are going to be opened, and each person's going to be judged according to what they have done. Good, bad, and the ugly. Revelation, let's take a look at that picture. Revelation chapter 20. I need to turn there myself. Verse 11. Then I saw the great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were open. Another book was open, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up that which were in them, and death and Hades gave up what was gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake the lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And so those whose name was written in the book of life were saved from the second death. Okay, we're all gonna die physically, right? Unless the resurrection happens and the rapture takes place and we go to be with God. We're all going to die physically. That's the first death. The second death is to be thrown into the lake of fire. And what you have to understand, heaven and hell is where our physical bodies are going to go as well. Not just our spirit, but also our physical bodies. And so hell will be a place of torment, not only for your spirit, but for your flesh as well. I don't know if people always understand that, but it's right there, folks. There's going to be resurrection even for the wicked, and their body, soul will go into hell, and those that are in the book of life will go into eternity with God. Amen? God's going to open the books, and each person's going to be judged according to what they have done. I'm going to have the musicians come. It's a little heavy, isn't it? <laughs> um, but it's the truth, folks. And, you know, we, we can watch the news and we can see people come to power. Today it's the Taliban. A couple of years it's going to be somebody else until Christ returns. We're going to see evil raise its ugly head. They're going to be arrogant. They're going to be no belief in God, greedy, uh, destructive, harmful to other people. That's always going to be part of our world until Christ returns. It's going to be part of our world. But God's going to open those books one day and each person will be judged according to what they have done. Nothing's going to escape God's attention. He sees it all. So what do we do? What do we do with what we see? Do we fold our hands? Do we, um, in dismay, do we get depressed? What do we do when we see all that? I think one, if we have power to act, if we, if we see something take place in front of our eyes, it might not be Afghanistan, it might be right in our community. We need to take action. We need to do something about it. Somebody's getting picked on, step in, right? Take action. There's other things that we can do. 
we can do whatsoever in our power. But I think we also need to pray. We need to intercede. We need to fast for those that are suffering in our world. You know, today it's them. We don't know if it's one day if it's going to be us. We live in a great nation. It's not perfect, but we live in a great nation. That's why people want to come here because to some degree there is justice. And we take so many things for granted in our world today. As being a part of our state, part of our nation, we take a lot for granted. Um, the people around the world, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, they need our prayers. Whether it's in Sudan, whether it's in Afghanistan, and some of the other Arab countries, whether it's in China. Uh, a lot of oppression taking place in China right now. Wherever it may be. God hears our prayers. He hears their prayers, but He hears our prayers too, right? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says that He is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine because of His great power. Amen? I can, I can dream pretty big. Can you dream big? You know what? God's able to do more than we can imagine or ask. So let's pray big prayers. Let's pray for those. Would you stand this morning? I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. Maybe uh, when I was talking about that you're brought before the throne, maybe that kind of, it's kind of, maybe that put you a little on edge. I don't want anybody to leave here this morning not knowing, hey, I'm, I'm, my name's in that book of life. I want to see it there, <laughs> right? You can know this morning. You can know. You don't have to take it hoping my name is written there. You can know that it's written there. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. If you mean that with all your heart this morning, I just encourage you to pray with me. And all of you that have prayed that prayer with me many times, will you just pray with me again and, and just come before God. Let's pray together. Say, Dear God, forgive me of my sins. You see it all. Forgive me and cleanse me and purify me. Be my Lord and my Savior. And be with me each step, the journey of my life. Amen. And Father, this morning, we just, uh, we pr just in uh, conclusion here, Lord, we pray for those that are being impacted in our world, whether it's Afghanistan, whether it's Sudan, whether it's in other countries of our world, where people are being put down, they're being oppressed. And Lord, it seems like justice is not being dealt with, Lord. God, you hear the prayers. In Isaiah chapter 61, you say that uh, you're there for the oppressed. You're not going to harm those that are weak, that are frail. But you want to give them the oil of gladness and joy. You want to take away this, the spirit of despair. Oh God, you want to be their hope and their strength. And Lord God, you hear the prayers. If they cry out to you, you hear them, Lord God. In midst of their suffering, their pain, you hear them, Lord God. And I believe you can even provide protection. And we just pray protection over Christians right now or in Afghanistan and Sudan and China and other countries that are oppressive to Christianity. We pray for protection, Lord God, over them. We thank you for our freedoms. We thank you for our liberties. But we pray for their protection there, Lord God. You're their defender. You're their shield. You're their their uh, 
strong tower, their fortress, Lord God. And we pray that you would be over their lives, Lord God. We just pray that you'd be with them. We give you the thanks and the praise this morning. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, the only, the only way when we see some of this stuff happening in our world, the only way it can be well with our soul is when we come to that, that final point and we know that God's going to settle the accounts. It's all going to be taken care of. Maybe not in our timing, but in His timing. Some things are going to be judged here on earth and justice is done. But there's much that isn't going to happen until eternity. But when we understand that, we can put our heart at rest and at peace and know that, you know what? God has it under control and we can trust Him. Amen? Father, I just thank You. I pray Your blessing and Your favor goes upon Your people today here, those that are watching online, but also even just those in our world today, Father, that we maybe don't even know their names, Lord, but they bear the name Christian. They, they've asked You into their heart and their life. They are a a blood-bought believer. There we go. They, they've trusted in you as their Lord and their Savior. God, wherever you may find them today, Father, we just pray a special blessing upon them, your favor, your protection upon their life. Father, go with us this day, this week. Let us be salt and light in our world. We give you the thanks. We ask in your name, and everybody said... Hey, God bless you this morning. Greet each other as you leave. God bless you.